Joshua Broom, once a renowned adult film star, went on an empty journey that led him to realize that fame, wealth, and worldly success couldn't fill the void in his heart. Overcoming depression, battling suicidal thoughts, and healing from the emotional scars of his past, Joshua has spent the last five years sharing his story on podcasts, TV shows, and stages, spreading God's message of restoration. Transformed by the life-giving power of Jesus, he has found healing and replaced lies with God's truth. Joshua holds a bachelor's degree in Christian ministries from Liberty University and is dedicated to helping those who feel their lives are irreparable due to the brokenness of their past to find hope, healing, and restoration. Joshua, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. For anyone who isn't familiar with you, can you give us just a little bit of background on who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Joshua Broom, and my wife and I, we operate a 501c nonprofit called Finding Hope, and my wife's name is Hope, which is pretty cool. Um, I love that. But yeah, so we've been married for seven years. We've got three kids, uh, all boys. We've got another boy on the way. Oh, congrats. So yes, a full house. My story is that I was in the adult film industry for six years from uh, like 2006 to around 2013 and uh, had a lot of success in the industry, but that success, it, it didn't do what I thought it would do for me. The, the money and the fame, it actually amplified my, my anxiety. It deepened my depression to the point where I was in a place so broken that I, I thought my life was over and ended up coming, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and went to Bible school and Bible college and just God progressively transformed my life and changed my story. That's everyone's story that knew that knows Jesus. Yeah, you were trapped in uh, darkness, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have the opportunity to step into life, step into a new life. That's the story that I share, and I've had the opportunity to do that in the in the political realm. I'm on. I'm on a, a part of a board at the White House regarding image-based uh, sexual exploitation. I advocate for legislation. I've been on various uh, platforms, and just God has given me opportunities to share my story. And I do my very best to, to steward the story that he's given me well because it's his and it points to him. Wow, that's a remarkable story, truly, and and super unique. So I'd love to go back to kind of the beginning of all of this. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and and how someone ends up in the adult entertainment industry. How does that even happen? Yeah. So for me, I grew up in a super small town in South Carolina, like okay. one grocery store. <laughs> we like just got a Taco Bell. So that was like amazing. Super exciting. Yeah. But I share the fact that it was a small town because my mom had me when she was she got pregnant with me when she was 15, had me when she was 16. And okay. my dad also lived in that town, but he was never in my life. And even though he wasn't in my life, I would see him. And as a, a young kid, seeing this person that I knew that was my father, it was confusing initially. And, and eventually it became something that was frustrating. And someone a lot of people uh, have these uh, this this high achiever personality, and it's a good thing if it leads you to you know operate in excellence and have a great work ethic. But if you put trauma into the mix, what happens is you believe a lie, and if you mm-hmm. believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. And mm-hmm. I believed that I needed to achieve to prove my worth, to validate myself, and that started when I was really young. Mm. I had to make good grades, not because I wanted to further you know myself and and you know better equip myself through education. I wanted mm. to make good grades because there was affirmation on the other side of the A. And the yeah. same thing with sports. You know, I love sports, but what I really loved was being the person that got to take the last shot or scoring the most points or winning the game. Mm-hmm. Like that was the this dopamine high that I was after. And eventually it was something that I was pursuing with girls. Like I was trying to get the most girls or the girl that no one else could get. And it was this just endless pursuit of wanting to feel loved. 
and just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really a, a misconceived notion of, well, if this person accepts me or if I achieve something, I'll feel some sort of way. And right. the reality is there's there's nothing external that can fix an internal problem. There's nothing mm-hmm. that you can obtain that fixes your heart. And that's just right. true. But again, I, I was on this pursuit to do enough to make me feel mm-hmm. some sort of way. And uh, when I was around 13, uh, back in the day when when this was a thing, I got discovered in a mall. There was a model yes. mall. And, yeah. and that was the first time I had an agent they fixed my like really bad Southern accent because uh, oh. doing, so I, I was doing a lot of runway and then also like some commercial work. And okay. I, like, I, I come from like a really like hick town that I love, but like, people couldn't understand what I was saying, but t- from voice lessons to, you know, working on, you know, my walk and runway and, and, and mm-hmm. all these things, that's how I spent most of my time. And I loved it. But again, it was about, I, I had to have the best comp card. I had to have the best reel. I had to get the job. I had to get the audition. And if I didn't, I felt like there was something wrong with me. But if I got the job, it was just this momentary high. And that became my new you know, drug of choice where yeah. I was in that industry and I loved it. But it, everything I was doing was toxic because of my heart. And I stayed, in that, I stayed in that industry, studied theater initially when I went to college, uh, did that for two years. And then I just thought like, okay, if I put myself in closer proximity to the industry I want to be in, it just makes sense. Right. So I, I dropped out of college and moved to Hollywood. I was lucky enough to, to get an agent. I got representation um, for modeling and I was doing some classes at the, the improv and uh, everything was okay. And mm-hmm. like most people that are pursuing that career, I had to uh, get another job <laughs> to mitigate my, yeah. income, my income. And I'm working at this, this restaurant slash bar on Sunset Boulevard in the middle of West Hollywood. And mm-hmm. these three girls come in and they're like, Hey, have you ever thought about being an actor? And I was like, yes. I was like, they're working on a project. They're going to yeah. introduce me to someone. And they were actually talking about pornography. They were essentially mm-hmm. headhunters where if they, they found someone that ended up making it into the industry, the, their agent would compensate them based on that. They introduced me to this agent I was pretty hesitant to meet with him, but it was just like such a weird interaction that I just like curiosity got the best of me. And um, mm-hmm. to be honest, I, I saw porn for the first time when I was like 13. And mm-hmm. I think like when you're exposed to something, it kind of, uh, it does, it didn't have the like, oh my gosh, I would never do that. It, I, I didn't think that. I mean, I was pretty taken back when they said that. And I for certain never thought about like wanting to do that or considering mm-hmm. doing that. But because I had been exposed to it and I lived a very promiscuous life doing it on camera for money, I knew it was a bad idea, but it wasn't the craziest thing I ever heard. So mm. ended up going and meeting with this agent and the agent asked me three questions. He asked me, how did you grow up? What are you doing in LA? And what do you hope to accomplish? I, I gave him a lot of ammunition for someone that wanted to manipulate someone. You know, I grew totally. up in a home, pretty much just me and my mom. And I guess I'm out here wanting to act. I guess I want to be famous. Mm-hmm. It's funny in retrospect saying that because when when you say if your goal is to be famous, mm-hmm. you really feel like no one sees you and you want to be seen. You feel... Mm-hmm unloved and you want to feel loved yeah desiring to be famous isn't even really a thing it's a feeling that you're looking for and you're hoping that someone can mitigate or fix the way that your heart feels and you feel like enough people know your name and if you you know maybe if i have a blue check mark beside my name or Mm -hmm. enough followers or enough people think i'm someone i'll feel like somebody that's what i was what i said and then he was like okay great you know i can i can make you famous and then i was like i know this is a bad idea but I, i'm gonna just do one what what you know what harm could it yeah and that's the reality it's like compromise in any area of your life 
is going to impact every area in your life. And I did that one and this was like 2006 and it kind of went viral. It had like 500,000 views in 2006. That was a a ton of views. Very quickly, my uh, mainstream representation found out and you're like, hey, uh, it states really clearly in your contract that anything that you do that would be derogatory, like anything regarding your likeness, anything that's associated with you that's going to be detrimental to us, we can't have that. So unfortunately, we can't represent you anymore. And then uh, essentially I got fired from my agency. And then a few days after that, my mom calls and, you know, being in a small town, word travels fast. And it's like, I heard that you were doing porno movies. Is that true? And I had to have this humiliating conversation with my mom. And Mm -hmm. um, I believe that while I'd, I'd ruined my life and there, there was nothing that I could do. And when you're in a place like that, it's so easy to believe, well, there's nothing else I can do because the reality is the easiest thing to do is continue doing what you're doing. Like when you're living in a life of compromise, when you're living in a life of sin, uh, when yeah. you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, it's so easy just to continue doing it. It's hard yeah. to change your life. It's hard. To, right. Right. Whether it's you getting in shape or you pursuing a new career or obtaining a new skill, all those things cost you something. But anything worth doing costs you something. That's just kind of where I was. So I believed that, okay, well, there's nothing else for me to do. I might as well continue doing that. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to become the, the best. And I stayed in the industry for six years. I ended up doing over a thousand movies. And wow. like 18 awards, I made over a million dollars. I did all these things. And I, I share that with you. And I say that often because I, I really believed if I won those awards and I made that money, mm-hmm. it would change the way I felt about myself because yeah. I didn't feel like I was good enough. And I thought, well, you know, being someone who grew up um, without a lot of money, if I have a lot of money, it'll fix my problems. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. I, you yeah. Know, well, if enough people knew who I was and enough people patted me on my back, I would feel some way and it didn't work. And it yeah. actually, it increased my anxiety, deepened my depression. And the day I actually won Performer of the Year, I started making a plan to take my life. And a few months after that, I was on a flight coming back from Atlanta and I made a specific plan to take my life. I made a deal. So you get a check. I mean, you're like, when you get a check, when you're working in the industry on the memo, mm-hmm. um, they would document, you know, what the title of the movie was or the name of the website. And it's always something super vul- uh, vulgar. And mm-hmm. my deal was that when I walk into the bank and hand this check to the teller, she's going to say something like snarky or like make some kind of like face when she sees that. And when she did that, that would be enough a, a confirmation for me, and you know that, that it was almost like a malicious act where I was trying to be uh, masochistic in some way. Where it's like, if she does that, that's going to make me feel bad enough where I can take my life. Mm. And I walk in the bank and hand her the check, and she didn't do what I thought she was going to do. I hand her the check, and then she looked at me and saw me broken and shaking and said, Joshua, are you okay? Joshua, is there there something I can do for you? And that was so important because I was at a place in my life where I stopped talking to my mom. I stopped responding to her text. I wasn't talking to any of my family, any of my friends. I became really close to a lot of my fraternity brothers when I was in college initially. These men like really wanted to help me become a man. Mm-hmm. taught me how to tie a tie and like so many things that I didn't learn like growing up not having a father or not having any kind of male leadership in my life whatsoever and right. I just pushed everyone away and, and and that's kind of the beauty of having accountability or the detriment of not having it because these people were saying hey I love you but you're better than this mm. I love yeah. you 
but there's something different that you could be doing. You've got gifts and talents. You're smart. There's something else you could do. Even if you, even if you feel like you blew it, you know, your dream where if you can't be in the modeling and acting world, there's something else that you can do with the right. that you're capable of that that's different than this. Again, that's that's a dangerous thing about believing a lie. I I believe that lie to be true that because I did those things, that was who I was. My right. worth was tied to me selling myself for sex. Mm. Like that, that was that was all I was good for. And that's why many people in that industry believe that's what people, that's why they stay in that industry. Because they have people surrounding them, telling them, well, you know, you're never going to get married. You know, no one's going to want you. You might as well continue doing this. And not only that, you you should continue to compromise further. Um, because the more you do, the, the the more it's worth. The more you compromise, the more the more it's worth. Yeah. So that's that's where I was. And she said my name. And I hadn't heard my name in over a year because I had wow. everyone was out of my life. And I was only pretty much like on set or I was at premieres and stuff like that. So everyone was calling me by the pseudonym that I went by. I mean, that that in itself should should go to paint a picture of how much guilt and shame is associated with that industry. Because the first thing you do is you choose to go by a different name. Mm, that's profound. Yeah. So it's like, you, you, it was like, I went into that conversation thinking that he was going to make my name famous. And the very mm. first thing I did was give my name away. And it was, it was so interesting. It was by the saying of my name, my real name, that it saved my life. And then from that moment, I, I ran home and I called my mom and my mom chewed me out because she <laughs> didn't know if I was okay or not. And then she said the same thing that she'd been saying for nearly a decade. I love you. You're better than this. Just come home. Mm. So I did. I, I packed up my things. I, I subleased my part, uh, you know, my place to someone I didn't even really know. I like left all my stuff there. I had a very nice place. And I was like, Hey, just don't burn it down. I took my clothes and went back to the Carolinas and I started working in the, the health and fitness space. The only other thing that I knew I could do was uh, coach CrossFit. Mm, so yeah. I started coaching CrossFit and even while I was there, I would lie until I got found out. I didn't want to tell anyone about my past. So I didn't, mm -hmm. but my past was so prevalent that it was pretty much impossible to hide from like what I'd done and who I was, especially like being in that industry. Even though I left, there was this trickle effect of like content continuing to come out. Mm -hmm. And it looked like I was still in the industry. And it's like, hey, you you just won the biggest award associated with this industry what are you doing here so i chose to like cover up my tattoos shave my head delete my social media thinking that i could hide but people continued to i would meet someone and then we live in a day and age even then it's like you know you what's your what's you know you look them up on social media you google them and mm -hmm. uh, very quickly i was being found out and that happened for about two years. And then I just kind of settled into this space where everyone kind of knew. And it was just like, he's a nice enough guy. He's a good trainer. But no one, like, people were kind to me. But any kind of relationships I was having with girls, it was pretty surface level. Not, not living with any kind of integrity. I'm just doing whatever. And even though I started to have some success in the, in the fitness space as a mm -hmm. trainer, Still at night, you know, wrestling with, you know, every single person I met, just fearing, oh, well, it's just going to be a, a matter of time before they uh, find out who I am. Yeah. Every time we get a new, like, personal training client, just, like, being afraid, well, they're going to fire me next week when they when they find out who I who I used to be. Mm. So just, like, a, just a terrible, terrible way to live. And after about two years of that, I just got into a place where kind of, like, everyone that was around me kind of knew and it was yeah. just something that was true. And I, uh, this, this new girl started attending the gym. She was super athletic, super pretty. And I walk over and ask her out on a date and she like flat out turns me down. She's like, no, <laughs> I'm like, gosh, I'm in love. I'm in love with you. You rejected me. <laughs> just did. I was just like, wow. And then I kept pursuing her and she eventually was like, okay, well we can go for a run. 
And uh, we we met to go on this run. And I had this kind of like lump in my throat. It was almost just like, I think it was like a combination of like my mom and the Holy Spirit being like, don't you lie to that girl. Mm. Hey, don't you dare. You know, like I hear, almost like hear my mom in my head like, boy, don't you lie to that girl. Yeah. Before we started the run, I was like, hey, um, you know, here's everything bad about me. Let me make a case for how bad of a person I am. Let me spare you the pain of, uh, you know, getting to know me and then finding this out about me later. And I told her everything. And then, you know, she's pretty taken back by it. And after a few seconds that, you know, felt like an eternity to me, she looked at me and said, a person's not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And a person's not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever do. And she says, God defines a person. Uh, Do you Mm -hmm. know know who God is? And for me, I had no idea who I was, but what I was really good at is like putting on, I call it a first date mask. You know, I'm, I don't know who I am, but I'm going to become whoever you want me to be. So you'll like me. So totally. I was like, yeah, um, I know God, I'm a Christian. Sure. And I went to church like when I was younger, like super mm-hmm. young. But then she, she was asked like, well, what's your relationship with Jesus? Like, you know, where, where do you attend church? Like, you know, are, are you part of a community? You know, do you small group or anything like that? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. well you you got me busted yeah yeah well i've been a christian since i was in seventh grade my entire Mm -hmm. family is christian and i'm not perfect by any means but my relationship with jesus is the most important thing in my life and my relationship with him dictates how i live my life Mm -hmm. and so do you like tacos or or what i was like what and she started asking me like what kind of food do i like what are my hopes and dreams and to be honest, I didn't have any. I was just every day was it was just a matter of time before, you know, I was having to admit who I was. And I just felt like I was in this 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 endless cycle of almost like a groundhog day of being found out of who I used to be. And even though I didn't wow. do it anymore, it's still who I was. Yeah. We just had this really great conversation and we didn't run. We walked. <laughs> we walked mm-hmm. and talked for so long and then text like teenagers for a week and then she invited me to church and I didn't think I had any place there I thought a person like me walking into a church I'm like no one's going to want me to be there I don't have any have any place here and we get there and the pastor stood up and he shares this message um, out of for, out of second Samuel he's talking about this dynamic between Jonathan and David and uh, David was now king and Jonathan was a, a friend of his and Jonathan previously was king, but Jonathan died. And historically in Roman culture, when when a king would die, that previous kingdom, anyone associated with in, in their family, they were killed because they didn't want anyone in the previous kingdom to think they had access to the new kingdom. Mm. And David was different. David said, well, is there anyone remaining out of Jonathan's family, and they were like, actually, there's one person, um, Mephibosheth, and they go and find him. And Mephibosheth, he knew history, so he thought that he was going to be found and he was going to be killed. And you know, based on history, he was right. But instead, David sends his guard to find him, to bring him into his home, to make him part of his kingdom, and even restores his land that was taken away. And the pastor pivots to, well, you know what? Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So guess who's guilty? Everybody. Guess who's deserving of death? Everybody. And there's a bridge that we need to get to God because mm-hmm. his standard is perfection. And yep. we, we can't build that bridge because we're imperfect. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Jesus comes fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life. He faces temptation but never sins. And he died on the cross, paying the debt for my sin, for your sin. And in, on the third day, he rose and he's seated at the right hand of God on the throne. And if you put your faith in him, his perfection is bestowed upon you. So he is the bridge to God. He is the bridge to salvation. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, like, it made sense. Oh, of all the things too that could be talked about in church that day, right? Like I I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. 
God is so good because it could have been on prayer or it could have been on faith or it could have been on charity toward other, like so many other things that that would be the lesson that day. Yeah. Gosh. But as I was wrestling, um, and then for sure, like the whole time he's talking, like no one else is in the room. He's talking to me, you know, I, I was just wrestling with like, my dad was right there. He was, you know, a mile away from the home I grew up in, but he didn't want me. What? Why would God, in flesh, take my punishment? Why would He be humiliated and beaten and die for me? Is with joy set before Him. He endured the cross. He did it because he loves me. And like when I heard that and realized that it wrecked me, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. there was tears and and snot and just, and then when I stood up, the burden of not me doing porn or me not having a dad or the, it was the guilt and shame and the weight of not feeling like I was worth anything, it was removed because the God of the universe was willing to die so that I could live. So I yeah. felt like body that day. And, um, and, and that girl that I went on that walk in with and she invited me to church. We've, you know, that's my wife and we've been married for uh, a little over seven years. After that, whatever I'm doing, I'm all in. You know, like anyone that yeah. knows, it's like if I'm eating wings, I'm going to eat the most, and they're going to be the hottest. And you know, <laughs> I'm just I'm that guy. I'm and you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm 100. No matter what. Yeah. Three days after I give my life to Christ, and like I go to this church, I'm like, hey, uh, I've got this story. I think I need to, you know, learn how to read the Bible. What do I do? You know, I, I'm following Jesus, but like, what do I do now? And this guy sits down with me and teaches me how to read the Bible. And I'm, you know, he's willing to teach me. So like, I take full advantage of it. Like, it won't go away. I'm like following this guy around for like 15 to 20 hours a week for years. Mm. And he just pours into me. And then yeah. eventually I just fall so in love with the Bible and I start getting opportunities to share my testimony in churches and on, on a few radio shows. And I end up going to Bible college, um, go to Liberty University and get a degree in, in Christian ministries. And I'm pursuing a, a master's in biblical theology and just mm-hmm. fall in love with the fact that like Jesus saved my life. But the Bible mm-hmm. changed my life. And I, I, I'm like, man, uh, I want to know this truth and be able to articulate this truth so that I can give it to other people. Because that's, that's who I've always been. Like, I, I love basketball. So it's like, man, you, I want to I play basketball with you. I want to teach you how to shoot. You know, I loved CrossFit. Yeah. I'm like, and this is amazing. I'm like, come do CrossFit with me. My grandma's like biscuits is like, man, you got to get, you got to taste it. You got to get some of this. And it's like, man, the the thing that's changed my life, that's impacted my life, the thing that I've loved more than I've ever loved anything is the gospel. So if I could prepare myself to share the thing that has the power to change your life forever, that's that's what I've committed my life to. And, you know, it's been, you know, almost nine years, nine years ago since that happened. And there's been uh, a lot that's transpired. And especially over the last three years, it it really, um, so I was on staff at a church Mm -hmm. in COVID. And then we had our second son and my wife's dealing with a little bit of postpartum and just like Mm. other things going around. We ended up moving back to where her parents lived and started doing like a little bit more like speaking and as everything started opening up and then kind of out of nowhere, Tucker Carlson's people reached out to me and I flew out and spent some time with him. And then he interviewed me live on Fox. And he, he asked me the question that I always light up when people ask me, it's like, well, how did your life change? I was like, yes. (laughs) And then I, I shared what I just shared with you. Mm -hmm. 
4.2 million people on Fox and they yeah. didn't, they didn't cut it. They didn't edit it. They let it play. And uh, ever since I did that interview with him, life has been uh, very different and it's opened up a lot of doors. So that's kind of how I got to from that point to what I'm doing now. Yeah, that is so incredible. And <laughs> I mean, what a cool way too that you've taken something that was so dark and that so many people struggle with, not in the way that you did, but for my husband and for so many other people who get yeah. just trapped in pornography. And and I really love how you focus on like Satan's lie of this is who you are. Like you've made these mistakes. Yeah. Now these define you. And what I, I think, Joshua, the part that I love of your story so much, I mean, I love how you gave your life to Jesus. And, and I, I, I am right there with you on so many of those things that you shared. And like my husband, when we sit down to Sunday dinner, the thing that he just like wants to make sure that our kids do not leave our home forgetting ever is that like Jesus overcame sin and death. And like, that's, that's like the one thing he's like, if, if there's nothing else, that's the one thing that he wants them to learn. And so we're very aligned on so many of those things. But my favorite thing is when you said that that teller said your name and it was like, you remembered who you are. And uh, I mean, I thought of the Lion King, you know, when like Simba, his, his dad appears in the cloud and He's like, remember who you are. And that's so that's it doesn't matter what industry you've been in or what mistakes you've made or whatever. That is the universal truth of we are all children of God. And if you can remember that, then that actually defines who you are and what your worth is and and nothing else that you've done or that you will do. It can't add to or take away from who you are. And so I, I love that about your story and how just real and tangible that moment was that you heard someone say your name and it reminded you of who you are. That's so cool. And and I I think in a very real way, the pornography industry is a hundred billion dollar industry. So a hundred billion dollar industry and it's predominantly fueled by viewership. It's monetized in the same way that YouTube is. Mm-hmm. It actually provided the model for YouTube. So pornography, oh. the pornography industry has always been three or four steps ahead mm-hmm. regarding technology. Like whatever advances have happened that have been implemented on social media have, have come from the way that the pornography industry does that. But I share that number to say, if that many people are watching it and you're, and you're struggling with it, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have a relationship with Jesus, because there are people that have a relationship with Jesus that struggle with pornography, tons of Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the condemnation and the guilt and the shame that you feel, those things are not from God. Like conviction Mm -hmm. is from God. Like it's, it's one thing to feel bad about it, but you can feel bad about doing something, but that doesn't make you bad. And when you believe, you are bad, that guilt and shame, it actually doesn't, it doesn't propel you to change. It keeps you trapped where you are. And so many people try to put on this mask to pretend they're okay. And it's actually so much healthier to to be in a place where it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And more, more people continue to struggle with this because they don't tell someone they're struggling with anything. They just keep, they just keep this cycle. And I think like, gosh, there, there's so many people struggling with it that no one in their life knows that they're struggling because it's one of these things because the accessibility, because it's just the the accessibility on on your phone. Right. Like you you could be struggling with it. You could be watching it all the time and no one could, would ever know. Yeah. Does it, real impact on your life like sure like it impacts your ability to have integrity it impacts your ability to to connect with other people in a in a real authentic way it causes depression it causes you know lack of motivation it has all these real tangible impacts on your life mm-hmm. but you could very easily be slugging through life you know because it makes you lethargic it makes you, you know, all these things but no one would know and the fact that the people who are closest to you, not knowing that you're struggling, is such a bad place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And I would really love to go back to, I mean, you talked about how it got 
to the point where you were contemplating taking your own life. And, and what's been really interesting for me being an advocate of pornography addiction recovery is that a lot of times people want to kind of get argumentative with me about how oh, that's not, it's not as important as other addiction recovery programs or there's no such thing as pornography addiction or you're you're making too big of a deal out of this like you can't die from that and we have known people who have died from the shame of pornography addiction where they just can't carry that anymore and it's so dark and lonely that it takes their life so with you having a direct experience in that industry I'd love for you to just speak on that for a moment yeah, I mean, for me and, and for many people, what leads you into a place where feeling like your life is not useful or you feel so trapped and so overwhelmed that that's even an option, it's rooted in shame and guilt. And those, mm-hmm. and that's a byproduct of consuming pornography or living a, a promiscuous lifestyle. Uh, those things are, are rooted in that because you're trying to get satisfaction from doing something or consuming something. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, see, God actually made you to desire intimacy, but that desire for intimacy is from him, with him. And mm-hmm. you're trying to replace it with a counterfeit. Mm-hmm. And the thing about a counterfeit is it's not as good as the real thing, and it will never give you what the real thing will, and you'll need more and more and more and more, and it's never going to satisfy you. You're never going to be satiated. And gosh, I mean, for me, I I felt like, well, I I ruined my life. Like no one's ever going to love me. Uh, No one's ever going to want me. I'm I'm useless. I'll never be taken serious. And, And that was what led me to a place where I was wanting to take my life. And for me, so I've been out of the industry for 11 years. And in that 11 years, knowing that the industry in itself, the people in the industry, like specifically like the production portion of pornography, mm-hmm. it's a, it's not a huge industry. And the fact that like 30 people have taken their own life and mo- like almost all of it's the same story. So like you're in the industry, you're having some success, you compromise until there's no more compromises to make. And then you believe that, well, I am, my worth is tied to me selling myself for sex. And then once the phone stops ringing or things slow down, you're like, well, my life is over because this is the only thing I can do. This is the only worth I have. So mm-hmm. a lot of these people, they end up in, toxic relationships where their their feelings of worthlessness are fueled by mm. people saying things to them yeah or they believe lies um to be true and what happens is they either get to a place where they're so overwhelmed and there's no light at the end of the tunnel and they take their life or they medicate with with drugs to the point where they overdose so 30 people like that I know personally, that I know their names. I've sat with them. We've had meals. 30 people have taken their life that are just from that industry. There's many more people that have taken their life, just 30 that I know. And wow. we live in a world where like suicide, it's, it's a real epidemic. Mm-hmm. It impacts the world. Every 40 seconds, someone's dying of suicide. And a lot of it has to go with we're in an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And if we're in an identity crisis, it's so easy to believe that your life is worthless and you're worthless and no one sees you and, and, and no one cares about you. And that's where I was. So many people are. So to the point you were sharing, it's like, man, like, yeah, like it, it impacts people in a really big way. And if there's intimacy that God designed you to experience from him by spending time with him and you're consuming pornography, feeling like that's going to be a replacement, you're isolating yourself and you're living in this space where you're desensitizing yourself to to people. You're, you're treating uh, people like a product and you're mm-hmm. consuming sex like it's a transaction. 
And when when intimacy is transactional and people are products, everything gets really blurry really quickly. And you create this plausible reality based on lies and shame. And all of a sudden, everything looks really bleak and dark. Yeah. So I always like to focus on solution. I mean, I think it's really important to expose these problems. But then what would you tell someone who is they're listening to this and they're like, that's me. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. I would say, number one, you don't have to stay stuck where you are. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to stay there. And while it's the easiest thing to do to continue doing what you're doing, you don't have to stay stuck there. But anything worth doing is going to, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you it, it minimum some effort. And the, the first thing that I would encourage someone to do, to my point, it's a, I say it's a $100 billion industry. So many people are, are watching it. In your head, you're thinking, well, if I tell someone this, they're going to think that I'm gross or dirty or whatever. It's like, gosh, that's Satan. Like mm-hmm. Satan is the father of lies. And if he yep. can get you to believe that I'm the only one going through this, I better not tell anyone that's keeping you trapped. What sets you free is the truth. Yeah. When when you, and you, when you share that with someone, like find someone you trust of the same sex, find someone you trust and tell them you're struggling with that. And maybe they won't offer you any advice or any solution, but there's this weight that comes off of you when you tell someone. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be proactive because when you, when you're struggling with pornography, More often than not, you don't make a plan to go watch porn. What happens is, is there something that you see that triggers a thought and then you follow that thought to a place and then you press enough buttons and you end up watching pornography. So Mm -hmm. if I can take inventory of my life and say, okay, what am I consuming or who is in my life that is leading me in a direction that I don't want to go? If I'm Mm -hmm. if if I can get to a place to say, okay. Pornography is detrimental to me and it hurts mm-hmm. the people that I love. So the reality is like if you are watching pornography and you're in a relationship, that's going to be detrimental to you and it's going to be detrimental to them. It's going yeah. to impact the way that you interact with them. It's going to it's going to separate you from them regarding how intimate you can be with them because you're, mm-hmm. you're compromising and that is not to make you guilty. It's just true. And if, if, if we can operate in a, in a space where it's like, I need to say and operate with what is true, then I don't have to live these lies because I'm only as free as I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can only be as free as I'm honest. So I got to understand that it is hurtful for me because if I don't believe that I'm going to justify it. Right. I don't believe it's harmful. I'm going to justify it. So I got to get to a place where I'm going to tell someone and I'm going to believe that it's hurtful. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to to take the necessary steps. I need to, maybe I need to unfollow some people. Maybe I need to to delete some apps. Mm. I I don't need to have a a smart device that's not locked down. I need to take preventative measures where I don't want to see the things I don't want to see. So lock, lock your smart device down. Don't bring your smart device into a place where you're alone. Don't bring yeah. it to your bedroom. Don't do things that are going to lead you into temptation, right? So don't like, don't follow accounts that if someone, it, it, what's really cool is you can train the algorithm to a certain mm-hmm. extent where like on Facebook yeah. and Instagram and, and TikTok, there's this like, show me less of this mm-hmm. or to like, unlike, like, don't, I don't like this, but like you do that enough. And it trains the algorithm of you of, of not showing you things you don't want to see. Right. So take those precautions. And, and in addition to that, like set those boundaries. And then I think the most important thing, like have someone in your life you can consistently have conversations with. So I call them hot, hot conversations. So honest, open and transparent where I'm going to sit down with someone. Uh, maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a week. I'm just depending on uh, whatever works for you. But being consistent is important. And you're going to say, like, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I did. Yeah. Because you got to be real. Like, if you're not going to be really honest with this person, and then that person is holding you accountable, you can't say, like, oh, man, you watch porn again. You know, let's pray about it. Or 
or you can't be over dramatic either. You can't say, okay, you know, we're going to call your wife on speaker right now. The middle ground would be, hey, you said that you didn't want to do this anymore and you did it. Help me understand why you said yes to something you don't want to do. Because I love you and I care about you. So because that's that's where the solution is. The solution is not stop watching porn. It's why do you want to watch porn? Totally agree. What's underneath that? Yeah. Yeah. So so getting to the root of that. And more often than not, there's there's some kind of trauma that happened. There's Mm -hmm. um, some kind of wound. Uh, Maybe you didn't have something that you should have had. Maybe there was an abandonment. Because what's happening is the porn has become a band-aid for a wound that only truth and healing and conversations and Jesus can heal. And until yeah. and it went, as, as long as you keep trying to, to medicate a problem with porn, that problem's never gonna it's never gonna go away. It's all it's just mm-hmm. cause more and more collateral damage in your life. Yeah. So Joshua, now what are you doing? You're doing some really cool things with taking this experience and making lemonade out of lemons and yeah. and trying to make a difference and making a really big difference. So let's talk about how you're spending your time doing that now. Yeah. So uh, I recently wrote a book, Seven Lies That'll Ruin Your Life that comes out in March. And it's really taking these big lies of the world and saying, hey, this is what the world says. Mm-hmm. This is what the word says. This is what the Bible says. And just sharing a bit of my experience because I've had a lot of epic failures and uh, just saying, hey, uh, this is the lie that I believed. And this is what me believing this lie cost me. And the Bible actually contradicts the lie. And now understanding what is true allowed me to destroy what I believed and now rebuilt a foundation of truth. And this is how you can apply this in your life. So that's kind of the structure of the book. So, and then getting to to speak in different avenues. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I've just really loved is that I've been part of this advocacy for this legislation called the Earned Act. There's a lot of different aspects of it, but the thing at the forefront is that you need to be 18 or older and you have to provide government issued ID to access any website that has anything sexually explicit on it. And wow. this has made it to the floor in Congress. But the th- a really exciting thing, even before it hit his past, five states have implemented this. And awesome. um, so MindGeek is the kind of like mastermind organization that owns most of the popular porn sites. And what they have done is the states that implemented this legislation, they shut down access to all their websites statewide, thinking that people are going to march up and down the street saying, give me back my porn. But it's been crickets. Mm. Wow. It's it's kind of back to the thing where it's like, you know, you're in a library and you're looking at porn and someone walks by, you're going to put your phone down. There's this, there's this innate understanding that this is not a good thing it's right thing that carries shame with it and to, to my point where no one's petitioning up and down the street saying that give this back it's just really amazing to see that through the sharing of my story and the transformation of my life there's many other people that I've been able to lock arms with and the, the main thing about this legislation is protecting kids. Mm-hmm. Three years yeah. ago, average age of exposure was 11. Right now, it's eight years old. 84% of the time yeah. when kids are exposed to pornography for the first time, it's accidental, meaning that either they were scrolling, looking for something, and they stumbled upon something they weren't looking for, or someone mm-hmm. showed them 84% of the time. Yeah. And part of this is we've seen Google implement this in the last few months where all anything sexually explicit now if you if even if you look for it it's blurred out so that that in itself is a huge win and, and yeah. that directly came from this legislation so just doing wow. that has been amazing and just God's put me in places in rooms and relationships with people 
that I never would have, have dreamed. When when I think about Ephesians 3.20, uh, God really has done exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever hope or imagine. Yeah, that so that that's how I, I spend a lot of my time where I do a ton of itinerant speaking. I'm all over the place, write books and really help even help parents like have these difficult conversations because the reality is if you're a parent, it's not if your kids see pornography, it's when mm-hmm. they see yeah. it. And if you don't have that conversation, you have to answer two questions. Why didn't you tell me? And why is what you're telling me different than what I heard first? Mm. Yeah. Well, I really admire all of the work that you're doing. It's super important. And I mean, that's affecting my kids already that these things have been implemented that are protecting their eyes and their minds and hearts. And so I really am super grateful for all the work, the good work that you're doing. So last question, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? Yeah, I would just have to say, um, regardless of what you've done, or regardless of what happened to you, maybe there was someone in your life that you trusted that hurt you. Maybe there was something that happened to you where you didn't have a mom or a dad growing up, or maybe you were abandoned, or maybe you you made a mistake yourself that you regret. I want to share with you, regardless of what camp you fall under, those things and what happened to you, that does not have to define the rest of your life. That doesn't define who you are, and that doesn't define what you do next. You can choose to pick yourself up, to dust yourself off, and know that you have gifts and talents, and you're important, and you have value, and it doesn't matter what happened to you or what you did. That does not determine what you do next. So I'm rooting for you, and you can change your life. It's going to be a lot of work, but man, if if you find yourself in a place where it's like, man, I want to give up. I could never do that. You're worth it. And you can. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. But whatever you want to accomplish, whatever God has put on your heart, it's because there's a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you give those burdens to Him, He's going to do the rest of the work for you. I love that so much. Joshua, where can people find you if they want to follow along and see when your book comes out and all of the good things that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, all of my social media across the board is I am Joshua Broom. So I am Joshua Broom. Don't forget to put an E on the end of my last name. Um, And then my website is joshuabroom.me. So that's where all of my content, all of the upcoming speaking engagements and all of the stuff for my book, podcast, all that good stuff can all be found there. Amazing. Thank you so much again for all of your time today and all the good that you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.